Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 161 of the podcast. It's the 29th of January, 2019, as I record this intro. Now, one of my goals this year is to get audiobook editions recorded for all my existing books. So I decided to start with my free intro book, What is Unschooling? It's kind of my test audiobook to figure out all the different distribution channels there are out there. The ebook is free on all the platforms like Amazon, Apple, Kobo, and lots of smaller distributors and through my website, but I am not sure yet if I'll be able to make the audiobook free, but I figured at least I can put it out through the podcast. <laughs> I love having lots of options. So if you've been unschooling for years, you may want to skip this episode. But on the other hand, I've usually found it really helpful and, and re-energizing to revisit the roots of unschooling once in a while. It reminds me of the why behind our everyday choices. And sometimes it even helps me sort out something that I happen to be wrestling with because I've forgotten to dig deep enough. So this week, please enjoy the audiobook edition of What is Unschooling? As a personal update, I'm working on a new project as well, and I'd love your feedback. So if you're newer to the podcast, you might not know about the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit online course that I host with Anne Oman and Anna Brown. It has over 12 hours of video content plus ongoing connection with the three of us in a private group. It's a deep dive into the personal work that we often need to do as we embrace unschooling for our family. So it's a big thing, and we only open it up to new participants twice a year. So as I've been contemplating how I might better help you guys on your unschooling journeys, I was thinking of recording some shorter videos so that anytime you're looking for information about a specific topic or even just looking for inspiration, you could pick one up and immediately dive in. So the idea is going deeper than a blog post or podcast conversation, but keeping the topic specific enough that it doesn't warrant writing a whole book, <laughs> even though, as you know, I love writing books. So to start, I have a couple of conference talks that I've given in the past that I would love to make more widely available. And from there, I had a couple ideas around the direction I could go. I could focus on diving into specific questions, maybe once a month. Um, or it occurred to me that I could dive more deeply into each of the stages that I talk about in my book, The Unschooling Journey. But really, it's not about me. It's all about you. And I'm really curious, what would you find more helpful right now? So I put together a quick form on my website at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash help. And I'd love if you could take a minute to let me know how I can better meet your needs as you navigate your unschooling journey. So I'll leave it up there for a couple of weeks to gather your thoughts and ideas. And I'll put the link in the show notes as well. 
And before we get to the audiobook, I want to just take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support my unschooling work through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patron, James. Hi, James. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Their generous support is vital to helping me freely share information and inspiration with anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to support my work like this podcast and my website, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into what is unschooling. Forever Curious Press presents What is Unschooling? Written and read by Pam Larickia. Introduction Hi, my name is Pam Larickia and I'm the creator of Living Joyfully, a website all about unschooling. I live in Ontario, Canada, and we began unschooling in 2002 when my children were 9, 7, and 4. They are now all over 18 and beyond the compulsory school age here, so we can officially call it living, even though that's really what we've been doing since they left school all those years ago. I put together this introductory book about unschooling because I still remember those first months, reading anything and everything I could find online about unschooling. I began questioning so many of my basic assumptions about learning and living and recall the empowering yet disorienting feeling of information overload. And that was back in 2002. There's even more information and misinformation to sift through now. Looking back, it's now more apparent to me which ideas and bits of information ended up being most helpful on our unschooling journey, and it's those I will focus on sharing with you. How do you learn things? Let's first take a moment together to explore how you like to learn new things. That may seem like a trivial place to start, but I promise it will be so helpful in setting you up to get the most out of this book. How do you first dive into a topic you want to know more about? I usually start with a web search and begin reading the websites and articles that catch my eye. I'm likely to check out a few related podcasts or YouTube channels and buy a book or two. At first, I don't really have a clue if the information I'm gathering is particularly useful or even true, but soon I begin to notice different people sharing similar information. That information begins to rise to the top as more credible, while things I read or heard once and are never mentioned again start to sink to the bottom. All this information swirls around in my mind as I go about my days. Our subconscious does some amazing sorting and connecting. The stuff that makes sense to me begins to rise to the top, while I discard that which so obviously doesn't align with my own experience. I start to develop a level of trust in some sources and dig deeper into the information they provide. And I keep my eyes open for more sources. Magazines, online forums, local groups, friends I can connect with. Again, the good stuff rises, the rest falls away. I'm learning. What does your learning process look like? Now let's specifically look at learning about unschooling. As someone new to the topic, reading about what experienced unschoolers are up to can be incredibly inspiring and also a bit scary. 
I remember when I first began reading unschooling forums. I was so sure I had an open mind, but I remember thinking, well, we won't ever be doing that. And more than once. (laughs) Yet, as I learned more and more about the principles of unschooling, about the ideas behind the actions that had at first seemed so irrational, they began to make sense to me. And surprise, I was doing many of those things a few months down the road. It's a pretty fascinating journey. With this book, I hope to help you navigate the sea of unschooling information out there, understand the principles and basic concepts first so that you have a strong foundation to build upon, and avoid the chaos that can happen when families jump into unschooling without understanding how it works. And here's a tip. Don't do things that don't make sense to you. That's just an invitation to disaster for everyone. Instead, take the time to learn more about unschooling, to discover the wonderful people that your children are. And in a few months, you too may find yourself joyfully doing things with your family that right now may seem unthinkable. Work your learning process. Learning about unschooling is really exciting. It challenges you to think for yourself, yet rewards you deeply. Taking the time to understand how you learn will also help you recognize the ways your children are learning outside the classroom. Hint, your children's process may be different from yours. It may look very different, but I'm sure you will love seeing your family living and learning in ways you probably have yet to imagine. As you go through this book, take the time to make connections between the information I'm sharing and your day-to-day lives. Do the ideas make sense? Not with the conventional messages you're probably bombarded with every day, but with your own life experience, with your experiences in school, and your children's if they've been. How about with your experiences living and learning on your own and those of other people you know? What are your goals? What has spurred you to learn about unschooling? Your own unhappy school experience or your children's? Or are you philosophically exploring alternatives to the conventional treadmill of high school, college, and nine to five job? Understanding your motivation will help you determine your goals and help you articulate them in conversation with others. Whichever direction you're coming from, just the fact that you're interested in learning more about unschooling tells me that you're the kind of person that doesn't take societal expectations as truth. Instead, you want to understand the why behind those expectations to see if they align with your own personal experience. Are they true for you? Are they applicable to your life today? Do they fit with the person and parent you want to be? So what are your goals for learning about unschooling? Are you looking to cultivate the joy of learning for your children? Are you looking to spend more time with them? Are you looking to develop strong and connected relationships in your family? Unschooling will support all those goals and more. But knowing which goals you're looking to meet, at least for now, will help you filter through the information and hone in on that which directly supports them. And here's a quote by Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. Man's mind, once stretched by a new idea, never regains its original dimensions. What is unschooling? 
Unschooling is just a kind of homeschooling. In fact, while we've been unschooling for many years, I don't often use the term in passing conversations. I just say we're homeschooling. There's a better chance people will have at least heard of homeschooling. And if they're actually curious, they'll ask more questions and the conversation will eventually get around to unschooling. The term unschooling. The term unschooling was first coined by John Holt back in the 1970s. Holt was a teacher working to change the school system from the inside. Once he felt that wasn't going to work, he began advocating for parents to take their kids out of school altogether. It was around the time when 7-Up was marketing itself as the, quote, uncola to distinguish itself from Coke and Pepsi. How could he differentiate this way of educating kids from the typical path of school? Unschooling. And it stuck. One of the first questions people often have when they come across unschooling is, what is unschooling? Such a seemingly innocent question, but it can be a challenge to answer, let alone to do so concisely. That's why sound bites about unschooling for TV interviews often fail so miserably. Even newspaper articles have a hard time getting the point across. Most writers were assigned the story with a short deadline. They're doing their best, but it's hard to understand unschooling deeply enough to explain it to others in that short a time frame. Here's my attempt from my first book, Free to Learn. Unschooling is, at its most basic, about learning without a curriculum, without a teacher-centered environment. But sometimes the concept is easier to, to define by what it's not. It's not school at home, a recreation of the school environment with a low student-teacher ratio around the kitchen table. And it's not about leaving your kids to fend for themselves. Far from it. It's about creating a different kind of learning environment for your children. An environment based on the understanding that humans learn best when they are interested and engaged, and when they are personally involved and motivated. Creating an environment conducive to real learning is very difficult if someone else, parent, teacher, or curriculum developer, is dictating what a person should be learning at any given time. But drop that outside control over the child and learning truly comes naturally. As the late John Holt, educator and unschooling advocate, notes so succinctly, fish swim, birds fly, man thinks and learns. In addition, once you experience unschooling, you realize that there is much more to it than just dropping curriculum. It becomes a learning lifestyle, one where parents and children together enjoy exploring their interests and passions, learning along the way. One that evolves to inform your outlook on just about any situation that arises. Some like to call it life learning because what you are doing is learning through living. It revitalizes your relationships with your children. You will come to see that learning is often handicapped when confined to a classroom and a curriculum, but exciting and ubiquitous when children are given the freedom to explore their world. And soon you begin to glimpse the true nature of unschooling unfolding, living joyfully and passionately as a family, and building lifelong relationships in an environment where your children are free to discover and to grow into the people they were born to be. Unschooling is a unique process for each family and for each child. 
That may be why explaining unschooling is so straightforward and so difficult at the same time. The implications of that simple phrase, learning without a curriculum, are profound and life-changing. A little wordy, isn't it? But did it help a bit? Learning without a curriculum. It sounds simple, but then you think, how? Without a curriculum, how do you support your child's learning? Unschooling is about creating an environment that is conducive to supporting real learning, not just for your children, but for everyone in the family, because learning is a lifelong activity. And kids seeing their parents learning are observing the joy and fun of learning firsthand. Be curious and interesting. Be fun and open. Be loving and responsive. Watch your kids in action. Both on your knees, toy or game controller or paintbrush or book in hand playing with them and from across the room when they're immersed in what they love to do. Learning about learning is key to understanding. Because we're not exchanging one set of curricula for another or one set of rules for another, nobody can definitively tell you that you must do X, Y, and Z for unschooling to thrive in your home. That's why understanding how it works and the principles behind it are crucial steps in figuring out how it'll work well in your unique family. Here's a quote from John Holt in his book, Instead of Education. Next to the right to life itself, the most fundamental of all human rights is the right to control our own minds and thoughts. That means the right to decide for ourselves how we will explore the world around us, think about our own and other person's experiences, and find and make the meaning of our own lives. Whoever takes that right away from us, as the educators do, attacks the very center of our being and does us the most profound and lasting injury. He tells us, in effect, that we cannot be trusted even to think, that for all our lives we must depend on others to tell us the meaning of our world and our lives, and that any meaning we may make for ourselves out of our own experience has no value. How will they learn? Now let's dive into learning. The Characteristics of Real Learning I define real learning as learning that is understood and remembered. Think back to your school career. How much do you remember of what you were taught? I bet you remember the stuff that you were personally interested in or used regularly, but I imagine there's a lot that you don't remember. Could you pass a high school chemistry test today, or a math test, or a history test? I have an engineering degree, and I'm quite certain I couldn't pass one of my university math tests at this point. Is information that is memorized for a test and forgotten soon after really learned? By school standards, if you got a passing grade on the test, then you learned it. But if you can no longer remember that information, is that really true today? These are great questions to ask yourself as you explore your thoughts around real learning. The words teach and learn. I believe it was Sandra Dodd who first challenged me to think about the difference between these words. What do you think? The word teach comes from the perspective of the teacher, conjuring up an image of someone pouring information into someone else. 
The word learn looks at the perspective of the learner, the person actively doing the learning. In a discussion about learning, which perspective is more important? For me, it's definitely the learner's perspective. A teacher can teach until they're blue in the face, but that doesn't mean any learning is happening. When you are observing or thinking about your children's learning experiences, it's more accurate to do so from their perspective, because it's the learner who is completely in control of the act of learning. The next time you find yourself reaching for the word teach, substitute the word learn. It will make a big difference in helping you see the situation more clearly. Observing learning from the learner's perspective is key to understanding unschooling. The Curriculum of Curiosity Here's another difference to think about. In school, children are taught the curricula that others have deemed necessary, and graduation is the ultimate prize that signifies they are ready to go forth and live in the real world. With unschooling, our children live in the real world every day and learn what they need or are interested in along the way. There is no graduation. They are participating in life in the real world from the get-go. The really fascinating thing is that when living is the goal, learning is an incidental yet wonderful and intense thing that happens along the way. When living is the focus, instead of being led by curricula, unschooling children are led by curiosity. Worlds can be found by a child and an adult bending down and looking together under the grass stems or at the skittering crabs in a tidal pool. Pursuing life enthusiastically creates a much more individualized, quote, curriculum, one that is wonderfully tailored to an individual's needs. The unschooling perspective of learning as a lifelong pursuit also negates the need for curricula to define when to learn things. The when is when it's needed. It doesn't matter if a person learns about the solar system or World War II or sentence fragments at the age of 8 or 15 or 23. What matters is learning something when there is a need or an interest, because that is when it will connect to what they're doing and make sense to them. That's also when it's more likely to be understood and remembered, because it is meaningful to them. Along those lines, not only is learning independent of age, it can also happen anywhere, not just in classrooms, and at any time, not just during school hours. If you're ready to embrace life and eager to share its wonder with your children, life in the real world is much bigger and more exciting than school can contain within its four walls. I could never have put together a more useful curriculum for my children than they did by spending their days following their curiosity and pursuing their interests. That open-ended freedom to explore the world helped them find their passions for storytelling, for photography, for the martial arts for life. Organizing your thoughts. I've passed along quite a few ideas so far and asked a whole bunch of questions to try to help get your mind churning. Do you like to journal? Now might be a fun time to start writing. It may help organize your thoughts. You could also write down your observations of your children's play and learning. It might help distract you from trying to direct their play into, quote, more worthy pursuits. Take some time to write down what you see your children enjoying, what you see them learning, and so on. 
However, if you journal, don't divide your writing into academic subjects. Categorizing their learning will hinder your discovery of how all learning is connected. The distinctions between subjects in school are rather artificial. Consider the history of math, or the English you use in social sciences, or the math you use in physics, or the writing you use in history. The real world has no such distinctions. How can I support their learning? Now that you have an idea of how learning through unschooling looks different from learning at school, let's dig deeper into the ways that unschooling parents can actively support their children's learning. Learning through making choices. One of the crucial ways we help our children explore the real world is by giving them choices. Because we aren't rushing our kids through the day to meet the requirements of a busy school schedule, we can slow down and give them the time to make real choices. Parents who make most of the decisions for their children are hoping to model the, quote, right thing to do, but that can often backfire into sneakiness or outright rebellion as their children get older. Instead of trying to teach them what choices to make, it's better to help them learn how to make informed choices. Experience in evaluating choices and making decisions is a key life skill. Do they want to wear their red dress or their blue shorts? Kick the ball around the yard or play go fish? Cereal or eggs for breakfast? Do they want to take swimming lessons or hit public swim time? Or both? Do they want to quit the soccer team? Do they want to check out the local photography club? Do they want to volunteer at the animal shelter? Spend hours in line to score a spot up front at their favorite band's show? It's about exploring who am I and what makes me tick. If you'd like to dig into that idea further, check out my essay of the same name in Appendix A. Life is full of choices, and when your effort is not focused on rushing them through one thing and on to the next, it can be so valuable to take the time to help them analyze the choices they see and choose the path forward that makes the most sense to them. From there, they get to see how their choices play out, gaining more knowledge and understanding that they can bring to the next decision they are considering, and the next. They learn so much by incorporating feedback into their decision cycle about both the world and themselves. It's valuable information that will serve them for a lifetime. Remember that supporting them in making choices is not about subtly leading them to make the same choices you would. You and your child are different people. You want to help them explore who they are, not try to mold them into a replica of you. If they really don't want to take swimming lessons, even though you think they should for a myriad of reasons, coercion on your part may hurt your relationship and quite possibly taint their interest in swimming. When I saw that happening, we stopped going to lessons. I realized that people are naturally resistant to things that they see others are trying to force them to do because they can sense an ulterior motive. If your real goal is for them to enjoy swimming and be safe in the water, better to find the ways they enjoy swimming and explore those for now. The adventure of water parks, playing at the beach, jumping off the dock at the lake. Open your mind to the many ways there are to enjoy water beyond swimming lessons. Choices also allow our children to learn things on their own timetable. 
Remember when we talked about following their curiosity instead of a curriculum? With choice, they are able to dig into their interests as deeply and for as long as their fascination is peaked. That is where real learning lives, where it shines. Here's a quote from John Holt in his book, What Do I Do Monday? I believe that we learn best when we, not others, are deciding what we are going to try to learn, and when, and how, and for what reasons or purposes. When we, not others, are, in the end, choosing the people, materials, and experiences from which and with which we will be learning. When we, not others, are judging how easily or quickly or well we are learning, and when we have learned enough. And above all, when we feel the wholeness and openness of the world around us and our own freedom and power and competence in it. Developing Trust But sometimes giving our children the power of choice stretches our trust. We worry. Is that really the right choice for them? One thing to remember is that the vast majority of decisions are not lifelong ones. They may seem pressing in the moment, but in the grand scheme of things, most are just that, a moment. Chances are they really can revisit their choices later as their experience grows and their interests change. Maybe they'll choose to join the karate dojo next month or next year. Trust that they are making the best choice for themselves in that moment and move on to the next. One way to develop this trust is through experience. Recall their choices, their analyses, their decisions, and then remember how they played out. Looking back, you'll often be able to see their path more clearly and better understand why they made the choices they did, where they led, and how they ended up connecting with the new and interesting things in their lives today. Taking the time to see and understand unschooling in action helps us build trust in the process. I share a fun story of my own about this in a blog post you'll find in Appendix B, titled Ways to Build Trust in Unschooling. As parents, one of the significant benefits of giving your children the time to evaluate choices is that you are close by to support them, to talk with them about their thoughts, to share your own without coercion, and to chat about the resulting outcome. You are helping them process information and take that learning forward. You are helping them explore the person they are and discover the person they want to be. Now imagine the other path, the one where in their best interests, you dictate most of their decisions for them growing up. When they move out on their own, they no longer have you by their side telling them what to do. They are finally free. But now they are also alone as they strive to discover themselves and figure out how they best function in the world, just when the ramifications of their choices can be much more significant. And especially if they hear your voice in their head as a guilty conscience, they have the additional struggle of determining if their choices are being made as an overreaction to years of control or whether they are truly their own. These are some of the choices you get to make on your parenting journey. It's an intense but oh-so-beautiful process of learning and growing. Why not yes? Now let's talk about how you might choose to answer those seemingly endless questions our children ask. 
can I do this? Can I do that? It might be as simple a question as, can I have a glass of juice? Or as complex as, can I visit my friend for two weeks? Where said friend is in another town or another country, or this would be your child's first stay away from home. Never a dull moment, right? Why not yes? Just as taking the time to talk with our children about the choices they encounter encourages and supports their learning, so does taking a moment to genuinely consider the possible answers to our children's questions. When my kids ask me a question about doing something, instead of jumping to an almost automatic no, maybe because I'm tired and don't want to gather art supplies, or I'm trying to avoid a mess of toys that will need cleaning up later, I pause and mentally ask myself, why not yes? It's a great starting point for my thinking. Let's play with that. Say I'm about to start making dinner and the kids run into the kitchen with a Monopoly box. Can you play Monopoly with us, Mom? I could quickly reply with, sorry, no, I'm making dinner now, and please don't play on the kitchen table, we're going to eat soon. And that is certainly a plausible answer. But is it the only one? Instead, I think to myself, why not yes? This is where the fun begins, thinking about the possibilities. Maybe we had a late afternoon snack and nobody's going to be hungry for a while. I could say, sounds like fun, let's get it set up. Maybe I'm hungry. I can play and just work on dinner when it's not my turn. We can bring TV tables in to put our plates on. Maybe I'm getting hungry and dinner prep will take some concentration. Sorry, I can't play right now, but I'd love for you guys to play in the kitchen so I can watch the game while I cook. We can set up a picnic for dinner in the family room so you don't have to move the game when we eat. Maybe I'm hungry and the food I've already thawed for dinner is a bit messy, so we'll need to eat at the table. Sorry, I'll play next time. I need to cook dinner now. I'll help you get the game set up in the family room so you don't have to move it when dinner's ready. What a range of options, and I'm sure that you can think of more possibilities, but it's a good example of why there aren't right or wrong answers when it comes to living and schooling. It's all about the circumstances and the personalities of the people involved. And take a moment to look at what my kids are learning in this situation. They will be learning from playing the game, math skills, social skills, ethics, and strategy, just to name a handful. They will be learning more about analyzing situations because I shared my reasoning behind my choice. And they will see another concrete example of me supporting them by putting real effort into helping them find a way to accomplish what they want while working within the realistic parameters of the moment. That's relationship building, trust building, and it's all information they will be able to use in the future. Saying no can make life seem easier in the moment, but saying yes encourages children to explore their world and cultivates their ability to live confidently in it. Take a moment to think about whether there is a way for you to answer yes. And, when possible, have those conversations aloud, letting your children know the options you are considering and what the various constraints are that you see from your perspective. And they often have good ideas to add to the mix. There's a caveat I'd like to add. Sometimes newer unschoolers take this encouragement to say yes to heart, 
interpreting it as always say yes. It's a great start in shifting our focus away from instinctively saying no, but always saying yes is almost as careless. An immediate yes, while exciting, can mean that there is no analysis of the circumstances, no consideration for the situation and the people involved. This can lead not only to parental burnout when we ignore our own needs day after day, but to inconsiderate kids who have come to expect an automatic yes because that's all they've known. They've never gone through the exercise of considering the constraints of the moment. Be thoughtful about this. John Anouille, a French dramatist, had this quote. To say yes, you have to sweat and roll up your sleeves and plunge both hands into life up to the elbows. It's easy to say no, even if it means dying. I love the image this quote conjures, though I'd probably drop the even if it means dying, but he was a dramatist after all. Rules versus principles. You'll probably come across this phrase as you explore the online world of unschooling, and I see it as an extension of the why not yes idea. I believe Sandra Dodd first articulated it, and it has spread widely from there. Rules are often used as shortcuts, substitutes for thinking in the moment. Parents often fall back on them to avoid the need to evaluate each situation individually. And it can be tempting to pass these rules down to children as edicts rather than logical, thought-out conclusions. As a result, from a child's point of view, the rules often seem arbitrary. By relying on rules to respond to questions, you rob a child of the opportunity to analyze the situation and come to their own understanding and conclusion. That opportunity to learn more about their world, themselves, and the people around them is lost. On the other hand, guiding principles, for example, things like take care of our stuff or don't hurt one another, allow you and your child to discuss situations together and come up with unique solutions for each particular circumstance. Principles encourage discussion and the evaluation of a situation, whereas rules shut discussion down. Nothing stops a conversation as abruptly as a firm no. And conversations are where we learn so much from each other, what we like, what we think, what we're trying to accomplish, and those are all great things to learn, both about ourselves and each other. And here's another caveat. Even if this makes perfect sense to you, don't stand up and declare to your family that there are no longer any rules. <laughs> That's just asking for chaos to reign. We'll discuss the process of moving to unschooling in more detail in a later chapter, but for now, just take each moment as it comes. If your child asks you if they can do something, instead of responding immediately with a rule, take a moment to think about whether you can say yes and a couple minutes to chat with him or her about the why behind your answer, whether it's a yes or no. For now, do that more. I think you'll be amazed at what transpires. Will I be able to do it? One of the common questions people ask when they are first learning about unschooling is, will unschooling work for my child? The answer is yes, unschooling done well will work for any interested child. It's tailored to the child's interests, needs, and personality after all. 
But the real question new to unschooling parents should be asking is, will I be able to unschool my child? See the difference? Unschooling isn't the easy choice. The choice to unschool your children is not a lazy one, as some might assert. Sure, you don't have to use your energy shuffling your kids through the fixed schedule of a school day and extracurricular activities, not to mention homework but you will need that energy nonetheless. Now you'll be using it to be with your children. That sounds pretty good though, doesn't it? Instead of using your effort to follow someone else's timetable during your children's formative years, your enthusiasm will be directed at living joyfully with your family. Lovely. So what might that entail? Unschooling isn't about keeping them home and then leaving them to fend for themselves. You'll be interacting with them constantly, playing with them, chatting with them, inviting them to do things with you, helping them work things out with their siblings and friends, exploring activities and places out and about with them, learning all about their personality and how their minds work, finding things in the world that you think they'll love and bringing them home. In short, living life together. Though again, this kind of description can be taken too far, like the say yes mantra. Remember, as you go through the day of choices and questions and living, pipe up with your needs as well. Just make sure you've taken a moment or two to ask yourself if it's really a need and to reflect on the potential benefits of following your children's wishes. It's a choice. Parental Traits That Support Unschooling There are a couple of traits in unschooling parents that I've noticed are really helpful in creating a thriving unschooling environment. So let's take a moment to talk about them. One is curiosity. Remember how we talked earlier about curiosity as a replacement for curriculum? Curiosity is the spark that encourages our children to explore the world. But why is it so important that the parents are curious? Because they are creating the environment and modeling this learning lifestyle for their children. Surrounded by curious and engaged parents who are learning all the time, kids can't help but discover the fun of pursuing their interests and learning new things. Their intrinsic motivation to explore blossoms, as does their drive to learn about the world around them. They discover the inherent value in pursuing what they enjoy. And here's a quote from Bill Bryson in his book, A Short History of Nearly Everything. Our instinct may be to see the impossibility of tracking everything down as frustrating, dispiriting, perhaps even appalling, but it can just as well be viewed as almost unbearably exciting. We live on a planet that has a more or less infinite capacity to surprise. What reasoning person could possibly want it any other way? So how might you show curiosity? When your child is interested in something, explore it with them. Find fun ways that things are connected to their interest. Related TV shows or movies, museum or science center exhibits, books or magazines, toys or games, arts or crafts, websites or blogs. Be careful not to attach expectations to the things you find and bring to your children. If that cool book you got from the library or that trip to the museum doesn't excite them, don't get frustrated. They aren't judging you personally. 
Instead, take the stance that you are learning more about them based on which connections they find interesting. And over time, you may well see that it was just a passing interest, a brief connection to something else that was a bigger interest. Oh, the things you'll learn about your kids. Another way to model curiosity about life and learning is to have and explore your own interests and share them with your kids. It doesn't need to be a big production, especially when the kids are younger and stretches of time on your own are few and far between. Maybe you like to read or knit and you do a bit while sitting by them as they play, commenting with excitement when you finished a good book or found a new pattern. Or maybe you enjoy making jewelry and pick up some larger beads and invite them to work alongside you. Ditto with baking or running around outside. Invite them along. Another trait that really comes in handy when unschooling is patience. Why is patience important for unschooling? Because it helps us move at our child's pace. Remember, we've chosen unschooling as a learning paradigm for our children and our family unit as their primary learning environment, so their learning is our focus. Trying to rush learning doesn't actually make it happen any faster. Their learning isn't under our control. When our children are interested in something, we, as best we can, should slow down and meet them at their pace of discovery and exploration. With patience, you will help them dig into their learning as deeply as they are inspired Plus, give them the space to absorb it at the tempo that suits them best. Need another reason? The positive effect on your relationship. Patience is a visible display of respect for and understanding of the child. In respecting their needs, you undermine the concept of adult power over children, and they experience a concrete example of, we're in this together. As Paul Coelho said, Why is patience so important? Because it makes us pay attention. But what if? I mentioned earlier that unschooling done well will work for any interested child. But many parents, maybe having extrapolated their child's difficulties with school into difficulties with learning, are understandably doubtful. They often pipe up with some version of, but what if? But my child has ADD. Will unschooling still work? But my child has a learning disability. Will unschooling still work? But my child doesn't listen to me. Will unschooling still work? Or whatever challenge the parents see as currently getting in the way of their child's learning and success. If the classroom learning environment or school at home environment doesn't work well for your child, That's a terrific reason to choose to create something different, something that aligns with how your child naturally learns. If your relationship is strained because you've been working so hard to help your child change to fit in at school, you'll now be able to improve your relationship immensely. Instead of trying to change your child, you'll be learning how your child ticks and creating an environment in which he or she thrives. Your child's personality and learning style won't hamper their learning. It will inspire it. And if your child has medical challenges, how wonderful it will be to be able to focus on their health instead of constantly trying to work around a school schedule. 
When my younger son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, we were able to adopt a flexible insulin management protocol precisely because his meals weren't tied to the school clock. And to focus our time and energy on all the learning involved without any additional worry that he was, quote, getting behind at school. The freedom is exhilarating. Supporting your children as unique individuals. Let's go back to the two traits from the last chapter, curiosity and patience. The curiosity to deeply understand your child and the patience to move through life at their pace. These traits will help you support your child no matter their physical, mental, or emotional makeup. Unschooling with your child creates a learning environment that is in sync with their learning style. Children enjoy situations where they are comfortable, are having fun, and are learning things. That kind of environment is fun. They will seek it out and they will learn. In fact, unschooling is a wonderful way to support children who fall outside school's typical learning box. Instead of spending so much time and effort trying to change them to fit in, help them learn about themselves and together find the wonderful ways that they can happily engage with the world. As Albert Einstein said, It is in fact nothing short of a miracle that the modern methods of instruction have not yet entirely strangled the holy curiosity of inquiry. So for example, in school, teachers need children to be able to read and write early because that is the easiest way to disseminate information through reading worksheets and textbooks and testing comprehension or writing in an environment where there may be over 30 students in a classroom. And children whose brains aren't wired to pick up these skills early are often labeled as learning disabled or unmotivated. They are judged as broken, and in the best of circumstances, special programs are put in place to accommodate them in the classroom because getting everyone to fit into the classroom model of learning is the ultimate goal. But there are so many other styles of learning. Outside the classroom, there are many other ways to enjoy stories beyond reading, like visually through TV shows, movies, and comics, interactively through video games, and orally through audiobooks and being read to. Same for gathering information, say watching videos like documentaries, specialty channels, enthusiasts' videos on YouTube, hands-on discovery at science centers, museums, and zoos, playing around on their own with just about anything like computers, make-your-own-games, musical instruments, exploring outside. Outside the classroom, there are so many other ways to discover and learn about the world. And in the meantime, later readers won't feel like they're flawed. They'll pick up reading on their own timetable and just add that particular way of enjoying stories and gathering information to their already abundant repertoire. You do not need to test your children. You are with your kids much of the time, hanging out, chatting, and doing things with them. You'll watch them discover new things. You'll hear their vocabulary expanding. You'll see their understanding of the world growing through their actions. That is proof they are learning right before your eyes. And imagine the relief when they realize that they aren't broken, just wonderfully different. The joy that will bubble back into their days when they aren't constantly being unfavorably compared to their peers. 
They can surge ahead with the skills and interests that excite them and take the time they need without pressure or judgment to develop those skills that don't come as easily. It really is a beautiful thing to watch unfold. What is de-schooling? De-schooling is a common term for the process of moving from school to homeschooling to unschooling. The typical suggestion for how long this process takes is one month for every year of school. This means that most parents have a lot more de-schooling to do than their kids. In our society, the concept of learning is inextricably wrapped up in our education system and the immense business that has developed around it. How does one begin to appreciate that real learning is everywhere? That learning is an integral part of living? By living each day with an open mind and observing what happens. As the Buddha is quoted to say, Believe nothing, no matter where you read it or who said it, no matter if I have said it, unless it agrees with your own reason and your own common sense. If you're de-schooling, here's an idea. Ignore the calendar for now and imagine it's summer vacation. Free from the obligations of school schedules, what would you and your family choose to be doing? And do that. Play lots. Dive into their interests with them. Explore all those places in your neighborhood you've always said you'd visit someday. Drive or bike to the next town over and find the ice cream shop. Bring out all your Lego and build a city. Make a batch of peppermint Play-Doh. Gather and paint rocks. Play games together, board games, card games, video games, online games. Check out the local library. Kick a ball around outside. Get a family membership at the nearest museum or science center or art gallery and just go and hang out. Build a fort in your family room. Blow up lots of balloons. Water balloons. Read books together. Climb trees. Watch movies. Watch the ones they like over and over. Watch your children live with joy and abandon. See them learning. Learning outside a classroom. Learning on their own terms. It's beautiful, yes? What about lessons? When you're de-schooling, it's usually a good idea to steer clear of lessons for a while. Especially if your child has been to school, jumping straight to lessons whenever he or she expresses an interest in something might give them the impression that lessons are how things are best learned. That impression undermines de-schooling and is patently untrue besides. For now, focus on exploring the myriad of other ways to learn. The bonus, it helps you and your children discover the ways they like to learn best. Maybe the teacher-student dynamic just isn't how their learning thrives. Remember back in Chapter 3 when we talked about choices and I shared the example of the many other ways to explore swimming beyond lessons? For fun, pick any topic and brainstorm as many ways as you can think of to explore and learn about it outside of formal lessons. Once your family is truly comfortable unschooling, once you genuinely understand that learning happens in any and all environments when the child is interested and engaged, choosing lessons no longer holds any value over and above any other option. Lessons are just one more choice on the overflowing platter of life and learning, so to speak. 
At that point, if your child is interested in adding that path in the pursuit of their interests, go for it. But be sure to approach them with the intent of finding a learning environment that suits your child. Don't try, even subtly, to coerce your child into changing to fit in. Lessons are not school. You have a choice. So take the time to find an environment and teacher or mentor that suits their learning style. Evaluating any learning environment is all about the perspective of the learner. Your child shouldn't feel less than after a lesson. They should feel excited about what they're learning. If not, commiserate with them and look for another place to go or another person to come to you if they still want to pursue that avenue. Lifelong learning about unschooling. One more point that I think it's important to mention. Learning about unschooling is an ongoing process. Even once you gain a deep understanding of unschooling, your children will grow and change, and your thoughts, ideas, and ways of interacting with them will need to keep up. Something else I learned along the way is that as our children get older, new situations can find pockets of beliefs we hold that have yet to be examined. But it does get progressively easier. The open and questioning way of thinking that allows you to wrap your head around the concept of unschooling gives you a frame of mind that is so helpful for processing anything that life brings. Continue to weave together these ideas about real learning, to play with and observe your children, to contemplate answering yes, to consider principles over rules, to be curious, and to slow down and join your children where they are. That's de-schooling. How do I get started? Now let's talk about helpful ways to move your family toward this new paradigm of living and learning. Don't drop the rules. I mentioned this point briefly back in Chapter 4 when we were exploring can I questions. Take a moment to think about how you've explained to your kids the need to follow your rules up to this point. Probably something along the lines of, I'm your parent, I love you, and I know what's best for you. Please do as I say. Maybe not in those exact words, but with a similar message, and most often with the best of intentions. Yet now that we know how much learning there is for our children in making choices, in following their interests, in living thoughtfully, we want to pull back from dictating so much of their day and open up their learning. But there's a potential problem. If we stop that all at once, and in direct contrast to the messages we've been sending them so far, they may well wonder what's going on. Do they no longer care what I do? Do they no longer love me? Those aren't things you ever want your child to question. They should always feel cared for and loved. So instead, begin to relax the rules. Start by discussing the rules with them and the reasoning behind them. Be open to hearing what they have to say and to make changes as a result. For example, tonight, instead of saying, it's 8.30, time to go to bed, you could say, would you like to watch the rest of the movie before going to bed? See how that takes the focus off the clock and onto the actual situation? How it doesn't say, go crazy, stay up as late as you want which can lead to chaos and misunderstanding. Then, when the movie's over, talk about the movie, not about the clock, as you go upstairs and get ready for bed. Talk about feeling tired. I bet you are. 
pick a book or three to read or whatever their relaxed and enjoyable routine is for going to sleep. Don't have one? Figure one out together. Help them get to sleep. Don't send them off to bed to figure it out on their own. As Sandra Dodd says, read a little, try a little, wait a while, watch. That's good advice. Don't rush the process of moving toward unschooling. But don't dawdle either. Be purposeful. Find the real things in your lives that one by one you can tweak to move reasonably smoothly from rules to principles. Start having real discussions when they ask questions instead of setting yourself up as a gatekeeper of yes and no. Live together. Build strong relationships. This increased level of meaningful interaction with your children will help build stronger relationships with them. Strong and connected relationships with your children are important for learning. Why? Because they create a supportive environment for the give and take of learning. A strong relationship is compassionate, so the child feels understood and as comfortable as possible approaching their parents with any questions or conversations. It is supportive, so the child is comfortable asking their parents for help because they know their request will be greeted sincerely. It's respectful and caring, and as such, the child is often, in return, open to hearing their parents' perspective. And it is kind. The child knows they are loved and supported. Developing and nurturing strong relationships with our children directly supports their learning by keeping communication open and the comfort level high. I wrote a blog post you might like to read about a couple of the things I often see get in the way when a parent is trying to connect or reconnect with their child, and you'll find that in Appendix C. And as you build strong relationships with your children, do you know what grows alongside? Trust. As George David Miller said, trust becomes solidified when words are consistently backed up by deeds. Trust builds with experience, and that trust helps us move more confidently into the future through the fear of the unknown, of new situations, of moments where we're unsure of what to do next, of moments where we're choosing to stretch beyond our comfort zones. Living life fully sometimes calls us to explore the edges of ourselves, both in our own learning and in support of our children's learning adventures. A trusting relationship with our children allows us to stretch more easily by helping us to understand situations more completely because both parent and child are comfortable sharing their information and perspectives. For me and many other veteran unschooling parents, one of the most wonderful benefits of unschooling has been the fantastic relationships we've developed with our children. Unschooling doesn't exempt anyone from the ups and downs of life, but our strong and connected relationships have been instrumental in helping us move more gracefully through life's challenging moments. Local homeschooling regulations. This might be a good time to get familiar with your local homeschooling regulations. For example, we live in Ontario, Canada. In Canada, schooling is regulated at the provincial level and Ontario has issued a policy program memorandum that details the procedures for parents choosing to homeschool their children. 
It's a homeschooling-friendly province, and the policy, issued in 2002, asks parents to submit a one-page letter of intent each year listing the children of compulsory school age that they intend to homeschool. The policy also outlines the reasons and guidelines for any investigations. Take some time to research the homeschooling regulations in your neck of the woods by visiting the website for the government branch that manages your local education policies. Do a search online for unschooling and or homeschooling in your location. That will help you find local forums or groups where there are sure to be discussions about how homeschoolers and unschoolers work within your particular homeschooling regulations. It's just another piece of the exploring unschooling puzzle. Be careful to move to unschooling, not in a big, scary, chaotic leap, but in a determined and supportive march that helps everyone in the family transition more smoothly. The day de-schooling ends and unschooling begins won't be lit up in bright lights. There is no magic moment. Life will just continue with the wonderful rhythm you found. You'll see all the learning that's happening every day, and eventually you'll look back and realize, hey, I think we're unschooling. The Unschooling Lifestyle Each family's journey to unschooling will be as unique as the wonderful individuals it contains, although some of the outcomes are pretty certain. You will get to know and understand your children better. You will find your relationships getting stronger. And you will begin to realize that, though they are younger, your children are thinking and interesting beings who are working hard to figure things out, just like you. And it will dawn on you, kids are people too. And now life gets really interesting. Often, as unschooling parents gain experience seeing the learning their children are doing every day, in every situation, their comfort level grows with the idea that the learning is in the living. The lines between living and learning blur, soon to be erased altogether. And next up, those pesky distinctions between academic skills and life skills. We talked about moving from rules to principles back in Chapter 4, so maybe you've already started considering some of these ideas on your own. You may have begun questioning bedtimes and mealtimes that are only based on the clock. Sleeping arrangements based on current societal norms, food restrictions based on, quote, good and bad judgments, and set chores based solely on the parents' needs without the consideration of all family members. Since I used a quick example in the last chapter of going to bed when your activity was done, in that case, a movie, instead of according to the time on the clock, let's dig into how our children might learn about sleep without the need for a bedtime. Exploring Bedtimes Just as a learner is the best person to choose what they're interested in learning and how they want to learn it, each person is also best able to figure out how much sleep they need and when they get it. They are the best judge of how they feel, awake, tired, exhausted, sharp, cranky, or mellow. As a parent, you can help your children explore sleep and its relationship to mood and health by chatting with them about it about your experiences, what you observe, and helping them make their own personal connections. If you dictate their sleep, they will only learn your expectations, not what their unique sleep needs are in varying circumstances. 
However, the lack of an arbitrary bedtime does not mean the absence of a bedtime routine if that's something your child enjoys. Many children, especially younger ones, find a bedtime routine helpful in settling down for sleep. A bath, fresh pajamas, a story or three. If you notice they are getting tired and are amenable, start the routine to wind down. Other children prefer going until they drop or hanging out quietly with their parents until they drift off to sleep. Understanding how they prefer to get to sleep is a useful lifelong skill, and it may look nothing like how you prefer to welcome slumber. As always, talk with your child. And I don't mean in a targeted, sit-down, serious, let's-talk-about-sleep-now conversation, where you explain in point form all the important reasons for sleep and ask your child to whip up their own sleeping schedule right now, please. (laughs) Instead, how about a quick mention of the connection between illness recovery and rest as your child naps on the couch while fighting the flu? Or a brief acknowledgement of their comment as they make the connection between their feelings of frustration and level of tiredness? How about a short conversation about tomorrow's early plans? Help them figure out when they probably want to go to sleep, and you'll also be helping them make some bigger picture connections. But remember not to judge them harshly if they stay up later. Maybe the excitement of the excursion will override their tiredness. Maybe it won't. You don't know, and either way, they will learn more about themselves. Over the years, they will experience staying up late, sleeping in, getting up early, being tired, sleeping soundly, sleeping fitfully. It's all part of life. And through those situations, they will learn how their body feels and gain experience in how their choices serve them. Did a nap help? Going to bed earlier? Do they need a few days to shift their sleeping patterns? Do they feel best after seven, eight, nine hours of sleep? So much learning. And you can apply that kind of analysis to the other life skills your children are learning, especially if conflict arises over them. That is an indication that there's room for improvement. Life's Challenges Before it seems too good to be true, realize that unschooling doesn't protect anyone from life's hardships. Maybe your child is wishing for more friends, or feeling sad, or facing physical or emotional challenges. These aren't the exclusive domain of school kids. They are part of life. Yet unschooling through these more difficult times actually has its advantages. School demands and issues aren't piled on top of it all as well. And you are with your child to help them work through it as much as they need and want at any age. The unschooling lifestyle, one where everyone in the family is considered a full team member regardless of age, where everyone is given space and respect to explore their personal needs for sleep, food, and fun, and where everyone is free to learn, gives each child a solid combination of knowledge, skills, and experience to bring with them into adulthood. As Ann Oman, a veteran unschooling parent, says, Today, I will connect with my children, bring joy into their lives, nurture and encourage what they love to do, and celebrate them for being exactly who they are. I have this inspiring quote hanging on my wall, and I see it every day. 
It's a reminder of where I choose to keep my focus, living joyfully with my children, no matter their age. Ready for more? It's been a joy to spend this time with you. Whether or not you choose to move forward with unschooling in the end, I'm happy that you've taken some time to learn more about it. That knowledge will help you make a more informed decision about whether or not this style of learning will be a good fit with your family. I wish you all the best on your unschooling journey. And if you're ready to start your unschooling journey in earnest, I recommend you pick up Free to Learn, the first book in my Living Joyfully with Unschooling series. In Free to Learn, we dive more deeply into why you want to look for learning, not teaching, how to see the learning that is happening everywhere, all the time, how judgment and shame short-circuit learning, and what to do instead, how saying yes more encourages our children's learning and cultivates their confidence, how to give your children a voice in your family, and much, much more. Through its concise, easy-to-understand language, Free to Learn explores the depth and potential of unschooling and how it can strengthen your family's learning and relationships. Free to Learn has also been translated into French, Spanish, Hungarian, and Portuguese. You can also find me online at livingjoyfully.ca. Appendix A. Who am I and what makes me tick? What activities do I like to do regularly? What really annoys me? What makes me smile? What food makes me feel good physically? How much food fills me up comfortably? Am I hungry when I eat? How much sleep helps me wake up feeling refreshed? Yet, if I'm excited about something, can I push through tiredness, or am I mostly cranky? Do I think and learn better when I'm alone, or do I prefer to bounce ideas around with others? Am I more relaxed and attentive when I'm nestled in amongst my things, or in a sparse environment because clutter is too distracting? When I'm interested in something, how do I like to learn about it? Do I sit back and observe, research? Do I dive in, give it a shot? Do I like baths or showers, morning or night? Do I like a routine to ease gently into sleep? Or do I like to keep going until I drop, content and exhausted? The answers to these kinds of questions paint a unique picture of who I am and what makes me tick. Many parents make these choices for their children. Tidy up your room before you go to play. It's bedtime. Go put your pajamas on and pick a couple books. Your t-shirt is dirty. Go put a clean one on. Finish your plate before you get down from the table. Why? I think there are a few reasons that mix and match to varying degrees. These are the ways that feel best for them, so they want to pass their wisdom along to their children. They like things tidy. They like to read before they go to sleep. They like their clothes spotless. They want their children to fit in smoothly with their routines as life is easier and less complicated. Or they have been told that there are right ways to live their lives and they want to help their kids develop these habits so they aren't judged negatively by others, even if the parents themselves don't feel they measure up. It's a noble ideal. They want their children to learn the right ways to take care of themselves so they become successful adults. But what does this have to do with unschooling? Well, let's find out. To start, I tweak the goal with two short but very important words. 
want their kids to learn the right ways for them to take care of themselves so they become successful adults. We all have our own definitions of successful, but what a difference those two words make for them. We are all different people, yes, regardless of our age. Think about you and your spouse for a minute. You're reasonably successful adults. Do you go to bed at the same time? Get up at the same time? I'm more of a morning person while my husband's been more of a night owl. Common phrases for different sleeping patterns. Do you both like baths? For us, that's him more than me. If we broaden the definition of bath to include a hot tub. What about living environment? I enjoy being surrounded by things that make me smile. And if it's not in a pile that I can see, I forget it exists while he mostly finds clutter distracting. In essence, we're both pretty different in how we tick. Our habits, our personalities, our likes and our dislikes surrounding day-to-day living. Those differences are part of life and there is no one right way for individuals to live other than the way that works best for them. Why would we think that would be any different for children? So say I want my children to learn how they tick. Why are unschooling principles a good way to go about it? As I got more and more comfortable with the unschooling learning environment, as I saw my children's real learning in action, as I saw all the learning that comes through living, my eyes opened and thoughts swirled. For me, there were a couple of key observations that swayed my choice. Firstly, this personal learning rose in importance in my eyes. With the education system's myopic K-12 view gone, I began looking at the bigger picture of their lives, to view childhood as the growth of the whole person into adulthood. Digging deeper, I realized how important understanding myself and how I tick has been for all aspects of life. How exceptionally useful that information is as an adult in both my work and my relationships and how since figuring that stuff out, my life has been much more joyful because I am no longer working against myself, meaning trying to act like someone else's society's or parents vision of me so much better. I also realized that it took a lot of time to explore and discover my quirks, my needs, my goals and to realize that they change over time. For me, this understanding of themselves became something very important to pass along to my children, alongside their more academic learning. The second observation was about the learning. I came to see it's all learning. Over our first unschooling months, their learning became more intertwined with our living. I began to make less and less distinction between academic and personal learning, Both were happening in most situations. Their personality and current needs and ways of processing were just as vital to the learning process as was the academic knowledge or skill they were pursuing. And unschooling was supporting all of their learning spectacularly. As parents, we choose whether we'll extend unschooling beyond academics into our family. I just encourage you to make that choice mindfully. If you do choose to move to an all-encompassing unschooling lifestyle, as with all unschooling learning, the key is to do it when they're interested. 
As their parent, you have an idea how your children tick and can make a good guess at what works for them. They've been communicating that information to you since they were born. Don't overwhelm them with choices they aren't interested in making. But when they are interested in trying things differently, like a change in their going to sleep routine or in their eating habits or in how tidy their room is or whatever bit of life they are contemplating, be open to letting them explore. That's when their interest is piqued and their learning is sparked. There's one other point I'd like to touch on. It's common for those first hearing about unschooling to wonder skeptically How do the kids learn to get up in time for jobs or to do what their boss tells them or to do any other adult thing the questioner finds distasteful so that they will grow to be independent, successful adults who can pay their bills and get jobs? That's not a surprising question. It's a big stretch at first. But think about it for a minute. It's actually not that illogical. Unschooling kids are making their own choices every day and throwing all their enthusiasm behind them. When they choose to start a job, their enthusiasm to follow their choice will help them get up in the morning, more than any previous years of, quote, training to get up will. Unschooling has precisely helped them learn how to follow through with their choices and given them lots of practice in making good choices and understanding the motivation behind them. They won't see their job as a burden, one they must have trained years for by getting up early and sitting bored at a desk for long hours and being forced to do things that they don't want to do day in and day out. They will also make better job choices up front. Understanding themselves, they won't pursue a job that is a complete mismatch with their personality and lifestyle. And if they choose to take one that isn't a great match, they will have other reasons like the money or the schedule or the experience, and those will motivate and reward them for going to work. Or if their job does become a burden, they will start looking around for a better match because that's what they've always done. When things don't work out, they don't feel stuck. They find ways to move on. They are wonderfully prepared to be independent, successful adults. Appendix B, Ways to Build Trust in Unschooling. Unschooling as a way of learning and living is unconventional. In general, parents trust the school system as an effective process for learning, where trust is a reasonably confident expectation of outcome. Yet, we have chosen a less populated path. We don't typically have an abundance of unschooling families around us from which to gain an understanding of and build trust in this lifestyle. So how do we build trust in unschooling? First, let's step back a moment and ask ourselves why. Why is it important to trust the process of unschooling? Because without trust, without understanding how unschooling works, when we're confronted with situations steeped in uncertainty, we may be tempted to reach for control to wrestle our fears into submission. Yet, top-down control can interfere with unschooling, chipping away at our relationships, and our children's learning may start to suffer. It can become a vicious circle. This less effective unschooling environment can precipitate situations with our children that trigger more fear, which can lead us to reach for more control, damaging our relationships, trust, and their learning even further. So, developing trust is important. How can we go about it? 
For me, I built a strong understanding of and trust in the process of unschooling during the first couple of years through observation, through seeing it in action with my children, and comparing that with my growing understanding of natural learning. That's the difference between trust and blind trust to me. Blind trust is when you haven't seen it in action before, when you have little to base your trust on. Deep trust builds on experience, on seeing. Certainly, when you first start unschooling, you may choose to place some trust in the experience and observation shared by other unschooling parents. But soon you will begin to see those ideas play out with your own children and your trust grows. Here's an example. I've always enjoyed and processed things through writing, and I recently came across a note I typed up during our first year of unschooling after a particularly fun aha moment for me when the learning connections were particularly obvious. So January, October 25th, 2002. Just thought I had to write down something that happened last night. Yesterday, we spent a great day at the Science Center and then went straight to Pete's house for a pizza party she organized for the kids. Just before we left, P gave Michael a recorder she had laying around. He was very excited since, although we already have two at home, this one was his. As soon as we got home, he had to learn to play it. As luck would have it, someone on the unschooling list had mentioned that a great first book for learning the recorder was the Usborne book, and I had borrowed it from the library two or three weeks ago. Since then, it had had been sitting on my music stand in the library trying to catch someone's attention. Michael must have noticed it because he made a beeline for it as soon as we got in and insisted I go through it with him. We quickly covered the basics of the instrument and how to clean it, then how to hold it and his first note. Next, we discussed counting and how long to hold a quarter note. It was amazing and so much fun. The challenge for me was to quickly scan each double page and give him a quick summary, and I could barely get that out before he was saying, I get it, I get it, be quiet now, and playing the tune for the page. We made it through the second note, along with half notes and whole notes, and then a third note, along with rests. I was surprised to see him understand the tempo and rhythm so easily. I could hear the difference between the quarter and half notes, even though I was not allowed to clap a beat past the first couple of pages. The funniest thing was that every time he squeaked, he would clean it. We've got a piece of old cloth and he diligently cleaned it with his cleaning rod. I did convince him that sometimes the squeak was because his mouth was tight. It really wasn't a squeak, just a higher note. This was especially noticeable with the G note. I told him to try relaxing and play the note with his eyes closed and that worked well. Then he slowly opened his eyes and found he could still play it. That was very exciting to be part of. Then, after about 45 minutes, he said that was enough, and he got on his pajamas and went upstairs to read his Scooby-Doo books. In one of the books, he noticed that the author had used a dash in one of the sentences, and he pointed it out and said, it looks like a rest from the music. I laughed and said, yes, it means to pause when you are reading. So I read the sentence over and over while he had me pause for different counts of five, four, three, two, and one, and chose two as the one that sounded best to him. Too funny. This moment was lit in neon lights for me because it was a glowing example of unschooling in action. My understanding of how unschooling worked meshed tightly with the experience unfolding in front of me. 
It's interesting to see where I was in my journey of learning about unschooling about seven months in. The way I chose to describe the situation, like the phrase trying to catch someone's attention, clearly shows that my trust in unschooling was still developing. I was still needing and watching for things to unfold, still attaching some level of expectations or at least hope to things. And that's okay. It's a journey. Developing trust in the process of unschooling is important because often these beautiful moments of learning and action aren't so glaringly obvious. Sometimes these connections happen inside the child with no outer clues in the moment. So much of learning is internal. Maybe you catch glimpses of it months down the road when they make a comment or observation and you realize the previously unseen connections they've made to get them to that point. I can see that idea became clear to me because a few months later, I started writing journals on a monthly basis, looking beyond the day-to-day activities to see the connections that flow through that longer time frame. Writing has always been my tool for processing the world. As I write down my thoughts and emotions, I discover and learn. Maybe writing isn't your tool, your joy. Explore and find the ways you will enjoy documenting these wonderful moments when you see unschooling in action and know in your heart it's working well. Pictures? Video? With cameras and many cell phones now, it's pretty easy to capture random and fleeting moments of unschooling in action that can later quickly bring you back to that moment. Mementos? Grab something that has some significance for you in relation to that moment keep them in a memory box or a shoe box or any kind of box. Whatever you choose, have it accessible so you can remind yourself about these moments when you feel your trust waning. At the very least, they will remind you of the kinds of connections to look for so you can again see unschooling in action in your family. This isn't about clinging to the good moments and ignoring reality. It's about reminding yourself that learning is always happening that it just may not be so easy to spot. These memories will remind you to trust in the process between those moments when you light up and say to yourself, unschooling is awesome. Appendix C, building strong relationships with your kids. Are you feeling disconnected from one or more of your children? Or are you a working parent wanting to build a deeper relationship with your kids? Or a step-parent wanting to create solid relationships with your stepchildren? A relationship is defined as a connection between two people, whether by blood, marriage, or emotion. It's a rather perfunctory relationship that is built on blood only. A deeper and more fulfilling relationship is one built on emotion, even if its circumstances are based in blood. Building a meaningful relationship means emotionally connecting with the other person, getting to know and understand him or her. In a well-connected relationship between parent and child, there is a beautiful give and take and flow, a high level of trust and genuine respect. And in any relationship you want to build stronger, it is up to you to make the first move. So what can you do? There are a couple of things that I often see get in the way when a parent is trying to connect or reconnect with a child and build a stronger relationship. 
The first is the parent not honestly evaluating how supportive he or she is of connecting opportunities when they appear. Think about the flow of your relationship with your children as it sits right now. When they ask you for help, do you most often say yes? Do you consistently help right away or put them off until it's more convenient for you, if ever? Maybe they've stopped asking for your help except as a last resort. Or does your spouse often ask you for help for them? Looking at these questions can help you see the signals you are giving them regarding your availability for connection. Each of these situations, if they occur with any regularity, interferes with the healthy give and take of a relationship. Let's look at the flow from the other direction. When you ask your child for help, is the answer most often no? Are the answers to your general questions short and sweet, lacking the richer details that deepen an already well-connected relationship? These are clues that your child is feeling disconnected too. The second thing I see time and again is the parent trying to connect with their child by attempting to pull the child to them rather than going to the child. Want to go for a bike ride with me? The answer is often no, because as part of the relationship disconnect, they likely don't trust that you are suggesting the activity for their enjoyment. And are you, really? Do you truly think it is something your child would enjoy? Or is it really something that you would enjoy doing with them? There's an incredibly important difference there. How can you break this cycle? For the next while, just stop asking. You already know you are both feeling disconnected, so stop creating moments that highlight this disconnect and increase frustration in the relationship. Stop asking questions where the answer is likely to be no or lacking in any meaningful detail. So if you're not asking questions, not asking for help, not asking them to join you in activities, what do you do instead? Go to them. Join your children in activities they enjoy. Take the time to see the world through their eyes. Spend some time quietly observing them so you start to see what kinds of things they like to do. Make getting to know them one of your high-priority projects. Watch the TV shows and movies they like with them. No need to make conversation to connect. Your relaxed presence is a starting point for building future connections. Let them just get used to your company. Maybe play their favorite board or video games with them. If they don't yet want you to play with them, don't take it personally. Just sit nearby and soak up their joy. Take your direction from them. But don't do these things passively. Passionately spend this time observing and, and learning more about them. Creating a strong base of trust to build a relationship on is not about putting in time with your child, but about using that time to actually learn who your child is. The activities she enjoys, the food she likes to eat, the kinds of clothes she prefers to wear, and the whys behind those answers. What are the signs that she is hungry or tired? What kind of humor does she enjoy? What kind does she have? Does she have a favorite seat by the TV? Does she like to go out and about regularly? Or does she prefer spending time at home? If your child doesn't like apples, don't continue to offer apples. 
Offer up his favorite seat if he comes to watch TV and you happen to be sitting there. Offer to take him to the park regularly if you know he likes to get out. And don't if you learn he does not. Don't offer advice while playing games together if you know he doesn't like that. Bring him his favorite snack or pick him up a t-shirt that you're sure he'll like as an impromptu gift. Show him that you understand him. To build a relationship with your child is to connect with him as he truly is, not with an idealized version of a child you have in your mind. In that same vein, don't just imagine what a great relationship looks like to you and start acting like it already exists. That's presumptuous, and he won't likely respond in kind. Even though your internal motivation has changed, your child can't see that. Your actions still look selfish from his current perspective. You have to show him and earn his trust. No shortcuts. And a quick note. If you are a working or newer to their lives parents with a spouse that already has a strong relationship with the child, these ideas aren't about trying to create the same relationship with your child or stepchild or grandchild that your spouse has. They are about creating a strong base of trust from which your unique relationship with your child can grow. Once you begin to deeply understand your child, you can begin to connect with her where she is. That is the comfortable place from which she can welcome you. And once you know your child well, you will be able to bring things to her that she will be much more likely to enjoy with you. And that's a true connection, proof that you see her, that you understand who she really is. As you create more and more of these connections, your relationship will get stronger. And as you understand your children better, you will see that their actions and reactions are truly grounded in who they are, not random outbursts designed to frustrate you. As you understand their actions better, you will be less frustrated and more trusting of them. And with this developing trust comes true respect, a deep sense of the inherent worth of your children which will most likely be reciprocated in abundance as you use this strong base to build uniquely wonderful relationships together. Have fun. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the first book in my Living Joyfully with Unschooling series, free to learn five ideas for a joyful unschooling life. In it, I share the five paradigm-changing ideas that most help me better understand unschooling. Reviewers have said, a quick read but packed with ideas that challenge the dominant paradigm of our failing approach to learning, this little gem makes an excellent argument for unschooling. And I was rather doubtful about this book as I had never heard of the author, but after reading it, I wish that I had read it years ago. I hope you find it helpful too. Free to Learn has also been translated into French and Spanish. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.